0: The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Well, if you would, uh, open your Bibles to our Christmas text for this evening, which is Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 7 through 10 of Ephesians 1, and we're going to focus particularly on verses 9 through 10. Ephesians 1, verses 7-10 through is what I'll be reading. Let's now hear God's Word, spoken by the Holy Spirit. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This concludes the reading of God's Word. Let's go before Him in prayer. Father, we do ask for Your illumination upon this text of Scripture this afternoon, that You would, by the power of Your Spirit, work in us, that we may hear it, that we may hear it from the heart, that we may believe it, that it may affect us for our spiritual good and edification, that You would be with us, O Father, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the glory of Your Son, that we would be transformed into the image of Your Son, affected by the power of Your Holy Spirit. We ask that You would do this, Father, not because we deserve it, not because we are good, but because you are good, because of your covenant promises, because of uh, all that you have said and all that you desire, you desire your people to be sanctified. And so we ask that you would work in us now through your word. We ask that you would do this by your spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I kind of said this facetiously that this was a Christmas text, but if I were to ask you to pick a Christmas text, I highly doubt. That you would have you would have picked Ephesians 1, 8 through 10. However, our text here does actually talk about the things pertaining to Christmas. What is Christmas about? It's about Christ coming to earth, the Son of God assuming our humanity in order to save us from our sins. We read that in Matthew 1. And this is also what is referred to as the mystery of God's will. That is, it's God's will to redeem, to restore all things, and that requires His Son to put on human flesh to come and save us from the curse. This is according to God's eternal plan. This is, as Ephesians 1 says, the mystery of His will. All the prophets of old, Searched into this very thing. Who is this person that is going to be sent to bring about this promised redemption? To come destroy the works of the devil? To crush his head? To undo the curse? And this, Paul says, is been revealed to us. And he states what that mystery is. We're going to look at two questions regarding the mystery of God's will. First, why do we have it? And second, what is it? And the first is, why do we have it? Well, verse 9 says that God made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. Now, first, very simply here, mystery refers to something that you aren't going to know unless it's revealed. That's all mystery refers to. You're not going to know it unless it's revealed, and God has revealed it. And the fact that we believe it and understand the spiritual significance of it, that we're believers in Christ, is a gift given particularly to believers that we understand what this mystery is. And the reason God made known the mystery of His will is because, as it says here in the ESV, it's according to His purpose. Now that Greek word means according to His good will or good pleasure. That is God delighted to reveal this. And this reveals something of the nature of God that we need to know. God is not reluctant to bless us with every spiritual blessing. That is every blessing of the Spirit. That's what Ephesians 1 is about. All the blessings of the Spirit. And we see them just stacked up one on top of another. And it's not that God is reluctant to do it or God kind of begrudgingly, well, I guess I'm going to do it for this person even though this... I really don't want to for Joe because he's so ungrateful. No, God is delighted to do this. God is delighted to give these good gifts to His children. You know, Jack and I were discussing some of the Christmas gifts that we're planning on giving our own children for Christmas. And we can't wait to see the delight on our children's faces when they open these gifts. And while that human analogy falls short, of course, uh, this explains something of the way God is towards us. God desires and delights to give these gifts to us. And one of those gifts is that He has made known to us the mystery of His will, which is the Gospel. Some people don't even get to hear the Gospel. Not only do we get to hear it, God has granted to us to believe it and to hear it Often, And that shows His kindness to us. As Jesus said in Luke 12.32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure, the same word there, to give you the kingdom. So we have this knowledge and every blessing of the Spirit because He delighted to give it. It was according to His good will, His good pleasure. Second, What is this will? And this gets us into what Christmas is about. Paul says it in verse 10, where he says, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in verse 9 it says that He set forth this plan, this purpose in Christ. It's all about Christ and what God is does in Christ, in the Messiah whom He has sent. So this this is the mystery of God's will that has now been revealed. It's how God plans to bring everything together. How He plans to bring about His full and complete redemption in all of creation. Not just saving us personally who believe, but to, as He says here, unite all things in heaven and on earth so let's go into detail about that what what exactly does that mean well first our verse says that it is a plan notice that this verse uses the singular for plan it doesn't say plans says plan and that means that god doesn't have a plan a and a plan b i will do a plan c rather there's one plan one unfolding of god's eternal plan without any hiccups or mishaps whatsoever. And this word translated as plan here in the ESV actually means an administration or, say, an economy. It refers to how something is ran or managed. For example, our, the, the president has an administration. He has a plan. Sometimes those plans aren't, aren't always good ones, but he has a plan, and then he has an administration to execute that plan. And that gets the idea here. Uh, God's administration is the execution of His plan. uh, How He manages the entire creation. How He brings about redemption. And of course, God doesn't need a group of counselors to help Him with that. Who has ever been God's counselor? Rather, God Himself in His Son, by the Holy Spirit, brings about His redemptive plan. And that is what uh, this administration is. Uh, this is what is referring to here. It, it's not how to make the military stronger or how to create jobs. Rather, as it says here, it's for the purpose of redemption. To unite all things in Christ. Another way of putting it, to remove the curse far as it is found. As the song goes. And our verse says that it is a plan for the fullness of times. That is, when time's up, when that bottom, an hourglass, maybe some of you play those games where one of the games we like to play is Boggle and you have that hourglass that you flip. And when all that sand gets to the bottom, it's full. That's what this is referring to, the fullness of time. When time is up and the timer goes off, the end of the age. So that is this plan of redemption. It's pointing towards that. It's pointing towards what happens at the end of the age when all things are consummated. That is what the work of Christ is about. And our verse here says that it's for the goal of uniting all things in Christ. Some of your versions may be summing up all things, and that that gives the idea as well. What is the sum? What is the end goal here? What is the conclusion? When every moment of creation is done and accounted for, what do we have? This is where all of world history is headed towards, when everything gets wrapped up in Christ. And Paul explains what he means by all things when he goes on to say, in verse 10, things in heaven and things on earth. God's redemptive plan is greater than just you and I. It's not only things on earth, but also things in heaven. So what does that mean? What is meant by things in heaven as well? Uniting heaven and earth. Well, this brings us all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. There in Genesis... You have Adam. And where is Adam? He's in this wonderful place called the Garden of Eden. And that Garden of Eden was the first temple, the first holy place where God and man dwelt together. Things were great in the garden, it was paradise. And Adam was put in the garden and given a task. I think a lot of times we think his task is to be like a farmer, you know, like just kind of dig some dirt around, make sure the plants grow and that sort of thing. However, that is not exactly his task. His the Hebrew words used to describe Adam's work in the garden, to keep and to work, convey the idea of guarding it, of keeping it free from def- defilement. Every other time those two words are used together in the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, it's used of the priest. The priest' duty is is the same words used to describe Adam's duty, and it makes sense because the priests are where in a temple. They are to work in it. They are to serve it, and they are to keep it. Keep is the sense of guarding it. Sometimes that that word is used of of guarding it. It's re- sometimes it's it's used to refer to what the angels do. The angels that stood guard. The Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were thrust out of it. That, that is the idea there. So this garden. The first temple area. The sacred ground where God and man met. Heaven and earth together at that point. Man dwelling with God. With holy angels was to be kept from defilement. And it was Adam's responsibility. But Adam failed in his responsibility. That serpent came in and brought in lies. That serpent came in and defiled the garden. And rather than Adam crushing his head, Adam believed his lie. Adam gave in to it. Adam and Eve fell to the serpent. And Adam, in so doing, gave up his kingly role to have dominion over the entire creation and to subdue it. He failed in his role. And as a result, now the prince of darkness rules. Satan is called the prince of this world. John 12. The god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, lowercase g. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5. Because of this here. Because Adam failed in his responsibility. And the result is that instead of truth reigning and God being known truly, error and lies reign, and, and God is not known. Men walk in darkness. And instead of there being everlasting life in the presence of God, there is now death. Not only for Adam, but but also all his posterity. Death is all around us. Instead of blessings, there is now the curse. Thorns and thistles come out, out of the ground. And now the curse is everywhere. This is why people get sick. This is why people get diseases. This is why people have things like blindness and lameness and, and all sorts of, of things. It's because of the curse. This is even why Fido dies. I don't know if anyone names their dog Fido anymore, but this is why your dog dies. It's because of the curse. Adam's sin affected more than himself. It affected the whole creation. However, where the first Adam failed, the second Adam, the last Adam, succeeds. And this is where Christmas comes in. God sent His Son. He didn't send an angel. He didn't uh, send fire down from heaven to purge everything. He sent His Son to be born as a man. And not only born as a man, as any old man, but to be born as an Adam. Romans 5 compares Christ's work with the first Adam's work. In Adam, all die. But in Christ, the second representative, All those whom he represents are made alive. And Christ lived a perfect life of complete obedience to the law. This included being tempted by the devil like the first Adam. The first Adam was tempted to eat. The last Adam was tempted to eat. Except the first Adam was tempted in a lush garden while full. The last Adam is tempted in a wilderness, the opposite of a garden, while full empty but after he faced the devil in the wilderness after that temptation it is at that point in every gospel except for John's gospel that Christ begins to declare now the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it is at that point that very point that he begins to cast out demons Satan's minions he's starting to reverse The curse. And he's bringing about healings. Things that pertain to the curse of this world. But giving a foretaste and a foreshadowing of what his kingdom is like. Where there's no more curse. There's no more death. There's no more sickness. There's healing. He's reversing the curse. But the greatest blow against the devil was when Christ took all our guilt and shame on the cross. Where he crushed the head of the serpent. To put him to open shame. Jesus declares in John 12 that when he goes to the cross, now is the ruler of this world being Satan cast out. He gained that rule when the first Adam abdicated that in giving himself over to Satan and bowing to his word. The last Adam refused to do that. And the last Adam cast him out by his death on the cross. Whereas the first Adam was cast out, the last Adam cast out. And whereas the first Adam failed to protect his bride from defilement and deceit, the last Adam protects his bride, the church, from defilement and deceit, cleansing her from all her sins and giving her the saving knowledge of the truth by his Spirit, revealing the mystery of his will. This came from Him laying down His life for her, paying for all her sins by dying on the cross, taking the wrath of God in full for her, that she would be forgiven, cleansed, accepted, holy, and blameless in His sight, and brought into His presence in the new creation. And on the day of His return, His second coming, He will come for His bride, the bride that He paid for, with His own blood. And bring her into the most holy of holies. The ultimate temple. The new heavens and the new earth. In fact, it's even interesting to look at Revelation. The tree of life is there at the end. In Revelation, in this garden. This new garden. Just like it was in the beginning. And in this new heavens and new earth, Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven says, Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. No more serpent. No more possibility of falling. But only those who are written the Lamb's book of life. And in this new heavens and the new earth, all things are united. No more fallen angels. Heaven and earth are together. Man and angels are together worshiping the Lamb forever. And ever, and this is where, as Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And all of this is because of God's eternal plan executed in Christ, the last Adam. To secure everlasting life with God by His perfect obedience And make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So, beloved, if you have not yet trusted in Christ, may today be the day of salvation. All you have to do is trust that he has taken your sins upon himself and that he will receive you if you come to him, if you believe on him. And for us in here who believe, let us remember the mystery of God's will. God has revealed to us the mystery of His will, this plan to bring all things to completion through Christ who secured for us the new heavens and the new earth by the last Adam. Remember that this is where all of history is headed. Sometimes it seems like it's not going to head that way. When we see evil men rise up, evil governments rise up, but know that God's plan cannot be thwarted. Do not be anxious by the evil we see all around us that's increasing. This will all soon fade away and God will be all in all in the new creation where nothing unclean or detestable will ever enter again. And if you've experienced loss in this world, heartache, know that it will be more than made up for in the new heavens and the new earth. Will we even remember? any of the hardship of this life after being there for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. And that He had just begun at that point. shows how, how much of a vapor this life is. And God will wipe away every tear from your eye. He will comfort you. He will quiet you with His eternal love and make His blessing forever flow to you in the place where the curse will never again be found. Amen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we are so grateful for Christ who has come to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found, to reverse the curse, to destroy the works of the devil, to redeem us from our fallen and detestable sin, to pay for them in full, to transform us into Christ's image, and to bring us to glory. We are so thankful that this all is according to your plan from before the foundation of the world, revealed in your Son, who assumed our humanity to bring this about. We thank you for that. We bless your name in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church, or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbc. Wyoming.com